Cavalcade Audio Productions and Mixed Signals Media present Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Lacey and Time. The bracing in Compartment C was slipping again. When the CM started creeping up toward unbalanced levels for no reason at all, centered on the freight loads, something had to be slipping. Nothing stacked in Part C stayed secure anymore, not for months. Lacey made a note on the digital pad strapped to her forearm to put in for a new bracing array when they pulled in for service next quarter. Seda would complain they weren't budgeted for it, but they sure weren't budgeted for damaged cargo or repairs from unexpected variances in the ship's center of mass. That's what was coming if they didn't get some new bracing. The CM was different from cruise to cruise, of course, with each cargo load requiring its own mass distribution. Ship's plumbing was always busy throughout the voyage, pumping liquid water from one holding tank to another so as to compensate for slightly shifting cargo. This may or may not have been slightly. Should she do a breakdown and re-secure? Touching her pad to get a comm interface, Lacey called engineering. Uncle Bard answered, looking grizzled and harried. Behind him, Jets of steam from a relief valve were shooting out with a high whistle, obscuring the machinery, fuel lines, engines, and pretty much everything else. Floating there in the haze, wearing his dark cap, overalls, and gray beard, to say nothing of his impatient mane, Bartle Forentine could have been replying to her from Victorian London, just another worker heading home through the pea soup. Seeing he was busy... Lacey thumbnailed her situation and asked about the CM. What is it, machine parts? he asked, then looked over his shoulder at a shadowy figure hovering near the jet with a long pipe wrench. He swore and shouted, Ligon, what's that for? Just watch the pressure gauge and see it stays out of the red. Electronic components, his niece answered, reading from the manifest label on the side of one of the crates. Looks like mostly carbon and plastic. Light stuff. Eh, don't worry then. Water adjustments can handle that. Is everything okay back there, Uncle? Looks foggy. Yeah, he replied, then shouted over his shoulder. A relief valve that needed to remain open was closed. Then, in a conversational tone again, he said, It sticks when the pressure builds, so we're doing an emergency venting to prevent a rupture. Then we have to open the pipe junction to see if the seal's been deformed. Do you need help? I can hand you stuff at least. The old man shook his head, 
looking back at the lithe, vaporous form of his young apprentice. Nah, sweets, you'd just be floating around. This kid has to learn. We've got this. Maybe you can tell Dewar I'll be late for dinner. He'll give me the look if I call. This made her smile, and she assured him she'd break the news to his better half. She chose the coward's route, though, and sent out her other uncle, the captain, a text, fearful of the look herself. After this, she floated aft. The mention of dinner reminded her that she had yet to get a meal map from Time's only waking passenger. As a ZG container ship, all the time there is had a module for cold passengers. They were currently shipping over a hundred, bound for Lilliport Station, which sat somewhat outside Jeter Poe's star system. Jeter Poe was prone to annoying solar activity, though it was a scientific draw expressly for that reason. The main settlement was well beyond the star jump point, therefore, even though there were research and observation posts inside the system. A number of the sleepers were bound for posts on those interstations, while the rest would be handed off, still frozen down, to other connecting cruises going every which way. Lilliport was a big, busy place. Passengers who were awake and floating around were rare on a container ship. First off, it was expensive, only nominally more economical than taking an actual passenger cruiser, and it was a lot less accommodating facility-wise. They had room for four, but Lacey couldn't recall ever having even that many at any one time. The ones that did pay for waking passage often had an air of trouble or even menace about them. The passenger module was secure from the rest of the ship for that reason, while within it, the waking quarters were secure from the sleepers. Pirates or other undesirables sometimes smuggled themselves aboard ships while frozen down, with one or more Confederates posing as waking passengers ready to thaw them out. This fellow didn't look or act dangerous, moving around in zero gravity like a seasoned spacer. He traveled light, just a flight bag and small roller case that, of course, couldn't roll on a ZG ship. He had the common room and passenger fresher all to himself, so maybe it really was like a luxury cruise. Except for the food. Lacey brought up an index application on the pad and found the guy's personal comm number. Mr. Dos Santos, she greeted when the man's pudgy face appeared on the little screen, his ident basics hovering in a box below, which she read as she spoke, because his name hadn't stuck. Sorry to bother you. I was hoping you had a chance to fill out the meal map I gave you when you came aboard. We have a wide variety of frozen and shelf-stable foods available. The map lists what's in stock. It makes meal preparations much easier if we have that in advance. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I meant to do that. I'll have it to you in five minutes. Is this number okay? Yes, sir. You can just send it over and I'll put it in the system. Thanks. No problem at all. Only his face was visible on the screen, and it had a fisheye quality, implying the feed was from a small device, like a watch or a ring. She'd met him when he'd come aboard, a short man and rather chubby. Of course, they were all short by Z-Chaser standards. 
He might have been in his early to mid-40s and was just going a bit gray at the temples, though it wasn't so apparent since he kept his hair buzzed. There was some gray in his little beard, though. Just middle-aged, maybe, but they'd been hard years. Mostly she could see it in his dark brown eyes, which were tired-looking and a little sad. She hesitated, and he noticed. Is there something else, uh... Uh, Laney, was it? Lacey, I was just wondering if you needed anything at all. There's a rec room in Module 47, adjacent to the passenger quarters. Game sets, exercise equipment, even a steam room. It's for crew, but VIP passengers have free access. The captain and his husband use it all the time. Keeps them feeling young, or so they lie. He laughed aloud which came across as honest and appreciated, but also rare. It lasted only a moment. Say, how does steam work in ZG anyway? It just hangs there, Lacey thought, remembering Victorian London. We keep the air in circulation. It's okay most of the time. The water collects in the corners after a while. Gets a daily cleaning by yours truly, so you just know it's good. She smiled, and so did he. A nice smile. Honest, if short-lived. I'll have that meal mapped to you in a moment, he offered, as a way to sign off. She thanked him and closed the call. She made her way to a tall stowage locker where they kept extra extensible bracing rods and tie-downs. Uncle Bart might have been confident of the fluid mass stabilizers, but she didn't want to put it to the test. She'd keep those electronic parts in place if she had to wall them off. The braces were bundled in threes, so Lacey had to make several trips, floating back and forth carefully, once tangling the pack in a snarl of thin power cables. She stopped then and angrily snapped open a channel to her brother, Angus, who was Time's primary pilot. Next time you run extensions from amidships to the fresher, put them away when you're done, would you please? I did put them away, he complained in her eye view, looking distracted. He was on duty and doubtlessly going over flight status reports. If the star jump was nominal, that was all he should have had to do at the moment, and this had been a smooth run so far. Looping them on a bailing stay and not tying down is the same as letting them flow free. I did tie them down. Then why am I caught in a web in B-junction? She demanded into her pad. And they're still plugged in. This is how people die, Gus. He wasn't listening and wasn't going to, no matter how she howled. Lacey took a breath and closed her eyes. He could really set her off sometimes. Look, he offered apparently having at least glanced at the video feed to see how mad she was. I have 17 log files to get through this shift. If I forgot the tie-downs, I'm sorry. I'll try and do better. It's all I'm asking for, the young woman muttered and closed the call. She let her bundle float free while unplugging the cable, then re-looped and tied it fast. Gus was a slob and always had been. He was the master of flotsam. His own cabin always looked like a snowstorm of trash and personal effects. Once per quarter, give or take, 
Uncle Derye would order him to clean it up. Then he'd take a couple hours and gather his mess, throw most of it away, and properly stow the rest. Then he'd go over the bulkheads, deck, and overhead, cleaning off gathered moisture and mold until the captain was satisfied. Gus didn't complain about the duty. He just didn't see it as a priority until someone else made it one. She got a blip from her data pad, along with an inbox notice from Passenger Dos Santos E, the little man being as good as his word. She took a moment right then to go over it, and was not surprised to see that, with just a couple of exceptions, no fan of curry it seemed, the man had gone with the first item on each of the meal lists. Masala aside, he didn't apparently care what he ate. That implied an accepting nature, or maybe just a nerd. Working with the bracing took up only an hour's time. Having more tie-offs made all the difference, and when she was done, nothing in compartment C was going anywhere. It wasn't a fix and shouldn't have been necessary, but it would do for this run. At one point, APAR, a general hand who'd signed on a few months before, floated along and paused curiously to watch her in the midst of creation. He didn't ask if she wanted help. He was a squat, clumsy guy, like most G-lumps. Think it's secure now, yeah? Yeah, I do, she replied, letting the fact that his commentary was pointless slip into her tone. He offered nothing in return and just sailed on out of sight. He was of that type who was easy with little jabs. Never anything bad, but never anything especially good or encouraging. He did his work, and you could trust him not to steal your stuff, but Lacey didn't like the guy. He'd probably be gone of his own accord at the end of his sixth month. Then they'd be advertising for someone else, on whatever station it was where he said his so longs. A few minutes later, an alert sounded on her pad, and within a few more, she found herself deep in bulkhead wiring for the tertiary backup systems of time's sleep tubes. As the ship's cold passage technician, she had the certification and training to make moderate repairs, so she logged the job, sent a notice to the captain, and got started. The system had thrown an error during an automated diagnostic, which prompted it to send her the alert. The error either came from a failing circuit connector on the control panel or a failing circuit on the main branch off deep in the bulkhead. Naturally, since it was the easier fix, the one on the panel tested just fine. Replacing the other one meant pulling tertiary systems offline, removing the control panel as a single unit, disconnecting all coolant and monitoring sensor feeds, and exposing the branch line. Hours of disassembly work so she could perform a 10-second repair. She had to interrupt Uncle Bard's steam bath in engineering to come and personally supervise the reinstallation of the control panel as per RMA guidelines. Lacey felt bad about that, but he seemed to appreciate the break. I'm almost comatose in there, Lace. I have to be. If I react or open my mouth without thinking, I might lose it entirely. 
She's a complete menace. The entire surface area of the engine room, including all machinery, lines, cables, everything, has to be pressure cleaned at the next port. Venting releases micro amounts of solvents into the air, and they can eat away at plastic over time. The cleanup's a big job. It has to be done by a certified provider and could keep us an extra week in dock. You never made a mistake when you were learning? She asked, fitting the panel clips back into place. Of course I did. Watch that you line those up diagonally. But I never put the engineering quarterly budget into the red while I was doing it. That wasn't a small screw-up, Lacey, and it's not the first one she's made. Lee Gon's a good kid, but she's got no feel for the work. It comes with time, Uncle. You haven't said any of this to her yet, have you? No. Her assessment's in two weeks. I want her to make the choice herself before I have to. If you've already made up your mind, I wouldn't call it a choice. <clears throat> there. She felt the panel latch in, centered in place. It powered on automatically and ran through a quick and successful self-test. She then re-ran the initial diagnostic of the system and got a green light this time. Thanks, she offered, along with a quick hug. She presented her data pad for his ident to certify he'd witnessed the repairs, and he touched the DNA scan on the side. Now go to your husband and have dinner. I'll talk to her tomorrow. She could probably use some encouragement. He just shook his head and floated off toward the crew quarters. And that was it. She keyed her shift sign off to the bridge. That would have been for Zizi, Zena's Aposta, time's first and only mate, who was on the follow-up shift to that of Uncle Durr. She was a hard gal, obsessed with regulations, as reliable as the laws of physics and just as honest, maybe more so. Lacey still had to heat and deliver the evening meal for Mr. DeSantos, but that was the work of minutes. She propelled herself to the galliette on port side, consulted his meal map one more time just to be sure, and picked out a faux meatloaf tray from the freezer. She also grabbed a subsie for herself, which came with a strange rectangular parata bread that was made to fit the tray exactly. She'd had this before, and it wasn't so bad. The meal heater could fit up to ten of these trays at one time, so they were ready fast. She sent a standard text alert to the passenger to tell him she was on her way with his meal. Then she placed the trays in an insulated cushion and pushed off toward the passenger module. She passed a par on the way. He was sponging down Companionway 17 while talking on the comm a ZG-rated self-moistening wipe in one hand and a dry rag in the other. He was going at a bulkhead. Since people regularly touched all the inside surfaces of hallways and cabins on ships without artificial gravity, cleaning was a perpetual job. Getting it done, ya. Yeah. Here's Lacey now, she can say. He's swabbing 17Z, she said loudly while floating past. On top of his mild but apparently intrinsic sarcasm, the guy seemed to make his own hours. He always got his work done, but this assumed flexibility was a constant irritant to Zizi, who thought that working on your off shift, 
or not working when it was your time to show up was inconsiderate, unprofessional, and intolerable. So far, she was the only one in the command chain who seemed to care, but she went at him about it every day, it seemed. The sensor at the ship exit hatch registered Lacey's ident code from her data pad and opened as she approached. There was a cubic link-up airlock compartment next, barely two meters deep, with doors mounted straight back, in the overhead, in the deck, and to both sides. The starboard one went to the wreck facilities, while the one straight back was for the passenger compartment. The others went to various places, including a back route to engineering. Only the wreck door would open for Mr. DeSantos. The door to the passenger compartment unsealed and swung back as Lacey moved in. It opened onto a long companionway. The woman pushed off the frame and sailed on, straight as an arrow. She went by locked hatches to cold passage chambers, an unlocked one to the compartment's fresher, and the open archway to the common room. In here, Mr. Dos Santos called, and she grabbed a handhold to stop and turn around. Sorry, she said as she entered what amounted to the living room for waking passengers. I didn't even look. I should have messaged you. Thanks for this. All part of the service, she replied with a smile, taking out a clothes tray from the bag. Oop, that one's mine. Hold on. She let it hang in the air as she took out his meal and presented it. The enclosed ZG-rated trays had detachable sporks on the bottom, molded right in. These were all-in-one meals. When finished, they'd end up in the recycler. Being of modern, food-grade plastic, the tray and utensil reacted to certain enzymes that would break them down into a liquid form. When in port somewhere, the recycler tank would get pumped out, and the plastic goo would be treated processed and reused for the same sort of thing, over and over again. You can join me if you'd like, the chubby man offered easily. Oh, I don't want to be a bother. He waved to the empty room with a slight smile. The place is busy tonight, but I think we can fit you in. She laughed at that, not so much from the humor, but because it was the first levity she'd heard out of him. For a moment, the guy didn't look quite so remote or lost. On most cruises, fraternizing with passengers was discouraged, but as steward, part of her job was to see to their comfort. This was harmless enough, and really, only Zizi would ever think to say anything. She agreed and floated over to the soft drink dispenser. Time used enclosed drink cups with built-in straws. What would you like? she asked, taking cups from the clip rack. Coffee? Tea? Wasserman water? Oh, God, no Wasserman, please, he begged. I was on a ship not long ago where that was about all we had. I'm no fan either, she replied approvingly. He asked for black coffee, and she inserted a cup under the dispenser. It had a thin, needle-like nozzle that fit into the straw, filling the cup in seconds. The coffee itself was just the standard powdered stuff, pre-mixed and kept chilled. It was heated only at the last moment while dispensing, 
so it was generally fresh-tasting, as such things went. The man accepted it gratefully either way, and sipped with appreciation. What brand are these meals? he asked, curiously, studying the markings on the lid. Selkin Food Services? I don't think I've ever had one of these. I thought I'd eaten every kind in space. They specialize in zero-G food products. There's that much of a difference? Well, taste-wise, I don't know, she answered thoughtfully, unsealing her subsy to show him. I mean, that's subjective. But the trays are built to hold food in, and the consistency of the recipes is specific, too. See? This is similar to stew in texture, but it clings to the spork without floating off. All their meals are like that. Try yours. The gravy doesn't leave the tray unless you scoop it up, and it won't leave the spork unless you make an effort. Yet it's not overly sticky. That takes some research and imagination. That takes magic, Mr. DeSantos remarked, cutting a piece of the simulated meat with his spork. It had a brownish-red sauce. The piece stayed on the tray, even though he moved it around. Then he scooped it up with the bowl of his utensil. It stayed there, too, until he put it in his mouth. He chewed slowly, tasting carefully. It's a little spicier than I'm used to, he pronounced. But the gravy isn't too thick or gluey. <laughs> well, there you go. Something new about something old. You've traveled a lot, I take it? She questioned, sipping from her own cup. She'd gone with plain water. Yeah, I mean, I've done your exact job for a couple decades now. Stewarding, I mean. Oh, no, don't judge me, she laughed, and so did he. Such a strange little man. <laughs> don't worry, this is a rare treat. In fact, I'm heading to a temp gig now. Engineering hand and secondary steward. That means being a gopher and attendant for the engineering crew. Super liner. It'll be nothing but smiles and can I help you soon enough, so I'm working up my patience. She laughed again. It was easy. He made it easy. Yet his eyes never looked any happier. He might have been going to a job, but he was definitely going from something. Something he was bringing with him nonetheless. Have you worked any zero-G cruises? She asked. No, not intentionally at least. I did a run on an ancient box hauler once, and the AG failed about an hour into star jump. That gave us two weeks of floating around a ship that wasn't designed for it, which was pure joy, especially using the fresher. They couldn't manage a fix? Not in flight. They didn't have the parts. And on the other end of the run, the owning company decided it wasn't worth the cost or trouble to source them. That thing was just about an antique. They disengaged the cargo box leased space for it on a super hauler that was just then rolling through the system, and carted the jump cab off for scrap. Canceled all crew contracts, too. Degella system? Nothing there but a rim stay left us all high and dry. Family ships are better, she commented through a mouthful of the flaming hot Indian meal. I grew up on all the time there is. It's the only ship I've ever known. See, that's the way to do it. I don't have any family myself. Who are spacers? He added, after a noticeable pause. 
You don't have to be blood to be part of a family. So I've learned. His words were quiet, and he seemed very focused on his food suddenly. She decided to change the subject. I have to say your weightless skills are excellent. I could tell you had experience as soon as you came aboard. Thanks. I've got a Class II Medico cert, and that includes some first responder stuff. I took a prep class on Serengeti Station, and nearly half of that was just for ZG training. Movement, carrying packs and accident victims around, and some fine work with small first aid equipment. You have to re-up that every five years, so I try to go back for a refresher when it's time. Stewarding, engineering, and medical? You must be busy. He laughed then, but had been swallowing, and it made him choke, which in turn made him laugh and cough some more. She swatted his back in concern, causing him to spin all the way over. He was all red-faced and puffy, though that just might have been from the lack of gravity. G-lumps looked funny without it. He stopped himself moving when he came back around, the excitement over for the moment. Sorry, she apologized, ostensibly for making him do a cartwheel, but really because she'd been the one to hand him his meal. He just waved. I can choke on my own saliva. But yeah, I tend to train when I'm between jobs. Keeps me out of trouble. Do you have a specialty? Gunnery. But gigs are getting hard to come by these days. AI systems are moving in on that part of the industry. She nodded. We used to go with a human interface, but the central computers were upgraded a few years back, and ship defense was part of the package. My brother still keeps his gunnery certification current as a backup, but to be honest, we haven't had any trouble in a long time, since I was a kid, really. We stick to a Roberia, Cyril, Antesh route in the Alliance, with a twice-yearly run over the border to Zolan System, Duenda, and then back to Ainspace via Jeter Po. Oh, that is safe, the man agreed. I've never heard of trouble in any of those. Not piracy, no. Zolan's gotten bad with cargo pilfering on the docks, though. We had 50,000 Q in raw textile base go missing first quarter this year. It happened before we could sign over the delivery, which meant it came out of our pocket. I've heard about muggings and stick-ups, too, right in the hub. Uncle Durr, uh, the captain, I mean, he says we might just skip it from now on. If so, we'll either add Tagala to the run, which is the closest alternative, but still kind of out of the way, or we'll just go straight on to Duenda. Except we can't do that because we only have one regular cargo pickup there, and it's not enough to cover that leg of the cruise on its own. He's still thinking it over. In response, Mr. DeSantos let his tray float, muttered a small command, and began interacting with a heads-up interface she couldn't see. She hadn't known about his retinal displays, but most people had something. A moment later, her datapad beeped with an incoming message. That's contact info for a lady named Majette. I think that's how you pronounce it. Head of business affairs for the Vernays family on Duenda, he explained, recovering his tray before it floated off. I dropped in an ident code she can use to verify that I gave you the lead. 
They run regular loads to and from the Alliance with all sorts of stuff. Some of it goes on their own ships, but a lot of it is through independence. I'm sure they can make a Duenda run worth your time. Lacey was surprised, but a little skeptical. This strange loner could swing a deal with a noble family of the Empire? Um, thank you? You're known to them, I take it? Yeah, friend of the family. I have no idea what their actual shipping needs will be coming up, but that code will get your broker an appointment, at the least. You can hire someone freelance at Jeter Poe to go back and arrange it for you. Okay, well, thank you. I'll pass this along to my sister-in-law, Seda. She's ship's broker. Oh, you have one aboard. That's good. Tell you what, I'll savor the trip and arrange for a priority dispatch when we get to, uh, uh what station is it again? Lilliport, she supplied, brow wrinkled. This was either a cock and bull story or the truth, and she wasn't sure which way it was leaning yet. Okay, yeah. Didn't there used to be a place called Count Deaver in Jeter Post System? It's the same place. They changed names. I'm sorry, Mr. DeSantos. Ejak, please. Ejak, I'm having a little trouble with this. You're saying you're offering to pay for a priority dispatch to Duenda just to do us a favor? That would be nine light years from there. It's a lot of money. He laughed with a mouthful of meatloaf again, coughing a bit. <coughs> the Vernays family owns a manufacturing plant in Jeter Po, big place on an asteroid. They send out priority messages daily. I'll just have this one added. It won't cost a thing. Wow, I could stand to be a noble family's friend, she commented, quite impressed. How, pray tell, does such a thing happen? Oh, it's... A long story. I guess I'm more than a friend. You're a nobleman? She asked, shocked. Why are you flying with us? Nobleman is misleading, he corrected with a shake of his head. I'm barely that. It's way less impressive than you're imagining, believe me. You could be on a luxury cruiser right now. I will be soon, he laughed. Once again while chewing, and once again he coughed. <coughs> okay, I'm just going to finish this before you make me guffaw and I asphyxiate. I don't get it, Lacey protested while he did exactly that. Is this a put-on? She waited for him to finish. It only took a moment. Then he pushed the empty tray, lid, and spork into the recycler. They have an office on, well, I guess it's Lilliport now he offered, wiping his mouth. Come with me when we dock and see for yourself. He was serious, which was perplexing on several fronts. You know I can't. Why? Is it in the hub core? She asked sharply, suddenly annoyed, and forgetting he was a passenger who'd paid good money to hover there blankly. No, it's down in the ring. Oh, crap. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking. I'm floating right in front of you, two meters long, a little hard to miss. Not for a doorknob. My apologies. He was contrite. Honestly so, or he was a good liar. 
Ejak, I'm just having a hard time believing that a nobleman, even a low-ranking one, works for a living and flies on cargo ships. It's a bit unusual, he agreed. It's singular. I've never heard of it. There are lots of titled people without money, some of them pretty blue-blooded. But you think I'm lying. Okay. Hold off on telling your sister-in-law until we get to Lilliport. Then you can contact the office and verify it all for yourself. I'll do that, she promised, making a mental note to contact the local business licensing board as well to confirm the manufacturer was even real to begin with. This could easily be an elaborate scam. Yet... The man appeared to be in earnest and hadn't promised or asked for anything. It was confusing. She ate quietly for a bit while he sipped at his coffee. The conversation had stalled. So, what's your title then? Noble title? Familia Ancano. It's as low as the rankings go. It's for adopting strays, more or less. Do they have a nice home, these Vernays people? A bunch of them, I'm told. It's a big clan. I've only ever been to the Patriarch's place, his main house, and then only once a few years ago. It's basically a palace, huge with extended grounds, paintings on the walls, statues, swimming pools, chefs in the kitchen, the whole circus. His immediate family lives there with him. His cousin, too, my niece. That's the terminology. As Familia Cano, I'm her Hananklo, or uncle. A few years ago, you came aboard at Duenda. You didn't stay with them this time? No, I was only there for a short while. A few hours, actually. She pushed off the rounded edge of the drink dispenser gently with one foot and floated around him, touching the bulkhead, touching the overhead, changing vectors effortlessly and silently, studying the short, round man. He didn't spin to keep her in sight. He just allowed the inspection. Assuming you aren't a con artist, Ejok, you're one of the most interesting passengers we've ever had aboard. And if you are, then you still are. Thanks, I guess. Why don't you spend more time with them? You traveled light years for only a few hours on the surface? Wealth aside, aren't they your family? Or doesn't that matter? It matters to my niece, he replied quietly, like it was a secret or a confession. He kept his eyes on his cup, he paused then, thinking about his words. She had a certain problem and asked for my help. It wasn't really needed. The family already had the situation in hand. Rather, it was ready to be handled. She wanted me to see it through. It wasn't pretty. And I don't much like myself at the moment, but it's done. That sounds like obligation not love. I'm not sure I know the difference. Her circumnavigation complete, she settled in front of him once again. Then it doesn't matter what you did for her. 
for them, because they clearly need you, and you clearly need them to. He considered that, brow wrinkled. You have a point. I do need them to. So long as that's the case, I set the terms. I can come and go when it suits me. I can be there for her when it matters, instead of when it doesn't, which is most of the time. Hmm. Well, maybe that's not an obligation after all. What then? She'd drifted on her axis when she'd been in motion, and was at least 20 degrees from his orientation now. She would have corrected it, knowing G-lumps often needed to pretend there was an up and down to this ship and to life. But she didn't. Not for him. This was a man who knew that direction was illusory and wholly self-determined. I guess it's a trust thing, he speculated, then motioned for more coffee. She was in front of the machine and refilled his cup. Reliability can be in short supply sometimes, Lacey. Not to sound all world-weary, but you really don't know how good you have it here, being raised in a safe place by people you can count on. I get that, but it doesn't change the facts. There aren't a lot of other places I can go. I don't have as many options as someone like you. It depends on how badly you want them. I'm deformed, Ejok! She snapped, then flourished theatrically, inviting him to study her the way she had him. Her long, lean shape, ovoid torso, and high breasts. So what if he was a passenger? They were beyond ZZ's precious formalities by now. I have to take regular supplements just to maintain my health and a percentage of bone density. I was born and raised in zero gravity. I can't go anywhere that doesn't have it. On this ship, I'm the deformed one, he replied with a smirk. But that's a step up. I'm usually just fat and ugly. It was another of his little droll comments that she now knew was a shield. She wasn't in the mood to pretend it was okay for him to be defensive, not at this point. When we get to Lilliport Station, you'll float to the hatch and walk away. First off, you can actually do that, which I just find incredible no matter how many times I see it. But more importantly, it's exactly what you do to your niece. She understands. Really? She doesn't like it, he explained, but she gets it. I can't stay there. It's not my home. You don't want a home. To you, it's a prison. I've met rambling types before. That one made him glance up from his coffee. I've made attempts, Lacey. I've tried to put down roots. It never takes. It depends on how badly you want it, she echoed, and he looked away instantly. They were silent for a long time. Maybe a minute. Or a day. You're not deformed, he stated firmly, well after things had become awkward. He was back to being fascinated by his cup, but it was just a safe place to put his eyes. At the risk of sounding like I'm making a pass, you're easily the most elegant woman I've ever laid eyes on.
Graceful, beautiful, fluid. It's like seeing a mermaid come to life. Nice hair, too. It's a wreck, she protested, running a hand over her coal-black waves, instantly embarrassed by the straightforward simplicity of his pronouncement. He's just a liar, she reminded herself. The point is, he went on, there are plenty of places for you. I've served on ships that had ZGers as crew. They had a section of their own with artificial gravity turned off. They were a little constrained compared to the rest of us, maybe, but we all traveled together and worked side by side. How they were raised was a consideration, but it didn't define them. Which of us are you talking to now, Ejok? She asked in a jousting tone of voice. He'd made herself conscious, and this was her own shield. He chuckled, wagging a finger. Oh, you are good. For the record, she stated, pushing aside fear because she was sick of it, taking hold of a lapel and canting him over until he was at her angle, at her point of view. I don't consider myself ugly, only crippled and only when I think about it, which isn't often, almost never, in fact. Well, that's, uh, that's nice to know. They stared at each other in silence for long seconds. This is when you kiss me, she prompted. I have coffee breath. Mine is spicy. You're young enough to be my daughter, Lacey. Or your niece, I'd guess. I don't look like her, do I? Not even close. You're on a ship, flying through the stars. That one made her smile, really smile, and she pulled the short man in. You have been listening to Lacey and Time, written and read by David Collins Rivera and presented by Cavalcade Audio Productions and Mixed Signals Media. You can contact me at lostandbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The Lacey and Time theme is a piece called Blind by Maiden. That's M-E-Y-D umlaut A-N. And it can be found at freemusicarchive.org. Lacey and Time is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. This story is copyright 2019 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Take care.